Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Good morning, City of Refuge. It's a beautiful day, cold day, but I'm probably a little more accustomed to that than some of you native Houstonians. Um, Please pray with me as we begin. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for all that you've done for us in the good times, in the hard times. Pray that your spirit truly speak through me this morning. Open our ears for what your word has to show us. In your name we pray these things. Amen. All right. So we are in the second uh, of our Abide in Jesus series, um, where we're talking through the Jesus' final words with his disciples before his crucifixion uh, in John chapters 13 through 17. And we'll be going through this for a few weeks, um, a couple months, actually. And... It's really interesting, and one of the things I've been thinking about the last uh, couple weeks is how much influence we see that these final words of Jesus had on the teachings of the apostles later. First uh, John, uh, which uh, Ellen Freeman, who's here today, and I co-taught a class on, what, three years ago? About that. Um, it was almost an application of this final message to the church that John was working with. So understanding this passage unlocks all sorts of things in the rest of the New Testament. But parts of it are, to be honest, confusing. You can see this from the reactions of the apostle, the disciples at this point. Um, Peter gets confused a lot at several points through this uh, conversation, this final dinner, this final set of teachings Jesus had. Um, so we're going to try to break it down, and we have certain advantages that Peter and the other disciples didn't have. Um, we have the Holy Spirit. We have time to go back and look at different things throughout the scriptures. And we have the um, ability of gleaning from what other people have said over the last 2,000 years. So we're going to try to do a little bit of that this morning. Um, We're going to be looking at uh, a very important passage in the Old Testament that is directly related to what Jesus is speaking about today. We're going to be looking at a passage later in the New Testament where John reflects on what Jesus says in this passage today. So let's uh, read it together. Um, We are going to John chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 31 through 38, and it should be on your screen. John chapter 13, verses 31 through 38. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. 
you will seek me, and just as I have said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So there's a lot in this passage, a lot to go through, and as usual for me when I'm preaching, I tried to figure out how to keep this down to 30 minutes so you all don't fall asleep. Um, But I'd like to start this morning with the kids. So if you are uh, here this morning, you can, no, stay socially just, you don't come up, up, but um, if you're... uh, Watching on a computer or a phone, make sure to push your parents to the side a little bit so you can hear this part's especially for you. Raise your hand if you have heard of the Ten Commandments. If you know what the Ten Commandments are. Okay, some of the kids here don't know what the Ten Commandments are. Hmm, I'm a little suspicious. But it's these special commands God gave to his people, and these are sort of 10 very important ones that summarize a lot of the other rules that God gave in the Old Testament. And one of the commandments is relevant to our passage this morning. It is the sixth commandment, the way most people count them, and it says, honor your father and your mother. Now, when I was a kid, Most of the time when teachers were teaching this, they said, this is like obeying. Obey your mother and father. Well, you know what? That is part of it, but it's not all of it. It's not all of it. There's more to honoring your mother and father than just obeying them. The way that you make them look good so that everyone knows what great parents you have. Now, my parents are, I mean, not my parents, my wife and her family are from uh, South Asia, and their family has this statement. But what will they say about us in the bazaar? The bazaar is a place that's sort of like a supermarket, except imagine it's all your neighbors and friends selling the stuff. So everyone there knows you. So... Are you doing things and behaving in such a way that if you were at the bazaar and all your neighbors and friends were there, that you'd be making your parents look good? That is what it means to honor your father and your mother. Now, what are some very practical things? Okay, so we already talked about obeying. If your mom tells you to do something, you should do it. Okay, so, but let's go a little deeper. What are some other ways that you can honor your father and your mother? Well, one that's very relevant 
to us today, our Bible passage we're talking about, is to demonstrate honor to your mother and father by loving your siblings. Loving your brothers or sisters or cousins or friends. By loving them, you are making your parents look good. Be like, wait, how, how, how does that make my parents look good? If you go out of your way to, you see your, let's say you see your brother having trouble figuring out how to do something. And it's something you're good at. Well, if you help your brother get better at doing that thing, you are showing that you love your brother. And by doing that, you're also honoring your parents. So this is something you can do to help honor your parents, to help your parents get, keep the respect that they deserve for all the good hard work they do for you. Now, when you get home, I want you to, or sorry, most of you are home. Um, after the service, I want you to talk with your family about other ways that you can show love to your brothers and sisters and cousins and friends, and otherwise you can honor your parents. Now, we're done with the kids part, but I want you to keep listening because I need your help to remind your parents of the stuff that I'm going to be telling them later in the service. So can you do that? Can you keep listening? And All right, I got a thumbs up from a couple here this morning. All right, parents, adults, grown-ups. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm any of those. Well, I'm not a parent, but anyway. Um, let's talk about this passage this morning from John 13. Let me reread verses 31 and 32. When he, Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And we see later in the passage, Peter was confused. Um, I don't blame him at all. Especially in real time. So, I want us to look at the passage in the Old Testament Jesus is referring to. And this is a passage that I've discovered a lot of my Christian friends in other countries are very aware of, but Christians in the United States miss a lot of the time. So uh, I want you to turn with me, uh, or look on the screen, to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. And the context of this passage is that there are these, Daniel's having a vision, and there are these four beasts that are really scary, and then we move into verse 9, and Daniel says, as I looked, uh, sorry, read it from the ESV, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. 
Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued out and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. What we have here is a picture of God is about to judge these four beasts that represented kingdoms. God was, to use some somewhat more modern words, God was about to lay the smack down on them. And I want you to see God's, how God is portrayed in these verses. He's described as the Ancient of Days. He took a seat in the throne room. Now, one of the things that's going to be important for later, as I looked, there were thorn, thrones, plural, more than one. There were thrones placed. And you see this picture of God. The throne is fiery flames with wheels underneath it. So you can almost imagine a chariot. The wheels were on fire. And God is, I guess, shooting fire out? Daniel's doing the best he can. I imagine this would be really hard to describe. Now, you might be wondering... Um, Darren, what exactly does this have to do with John 13? Good question. Let's skip down to verses 13 and 14. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the light visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and tongues should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So I want us to slow down and look at each part of these two verses. And then we'll connect it back to John 13. With the clouds of heaven came one like the Son of Man. Where have we heard about a Son of Man and going to clouds before? And he was presented to the Ancient of Days. And to him, to the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. All the people on earth, all the people on earth serving this Son of Man. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that should not be destroyed. Now, Jewish scholars in Jesus' day, had a really hard time figuring out what this passage was about. Because here you have son of man. In, in Hebrew, it's a, a descendant of Adam. That, that, that's what it says. So a human being. Being presented on a cloud to 
Yahweh, to God. And if you remember from the earlier verses, God was being worshipped and served by tens of thousands. And here we have the Son of Man being served and worshipped by all the peoples of the earth. Now the Jewish scholars thought very correctly um, who would get this kind of treatment except God? Who should get this type of treatment except God? No one should be treated this way and have dominion over all the earth and be worshipped by everyone except God. But this is a human being. This is a son of man. What's going on here? Well, Jesus tells us many places in the Gospels. One of those is in John 13. So let's turn back to John 13 and look at this. Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified. Where do we see Son of Man before? Yeah, our brains, our minds should be going back to Daniel 7 and this picture of the Son of Man. Because this wasn't a common term in the Old Testament. It was like in Daniel 7, Psalm 8, and I think Ezekiel referred to himself as that sometimes when making a special point. It, it's, it wasn't a common term that was used. And in the New Testament times, no one would use this to describe themselves because they'd be accused of blasphemy because of what's in Daniel 7. Well, what did Jesus call himself over and over again? How does he refer to himself when he was teaching? All right, he kept referring to himself as the Son of God and the Son of Man. It's so strange preaching in front of an audience again. Um, so, yeah, he was identifying himself with his figure in Daniel 7 who ends up having dominion over all the earth and being worshipped by all people. Jesus is trying to tell us something here. And then, just in case you're doubting a little bit, he goes on to say, the Son of Man is glorified. Oh, what's happening in Daniel 7? Son of Man is being glorified. Jesus is telling his disciples in ways they did eventually understand if you read the epistles. I'm that guy. I'm the one. And I am about to take my kingdom. The whole earth will serve me. And the disciples have a special privilege they got to be among the first servants of the reigning king. Jesus is glorified on earth. He had to go someplace. And that's where the rest of this conversation sort of leads. Uh, we, we have um, him telling the disciples in verse 33, little children, yet a little while, 
I am with you. You will, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And then he tells them later in verse 36, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. So I, th- I think we have a dual meaning here. Um, before I had made this Daniel 7 connection, I just assumed this was Jesus talking about his death. And I, I, I think that uh, is part of what uh, Jesus is talking about here. But I think it's also talking about those thrones in that throne room in Daniel 7. You might remember the story of the disciples who sort of had a fight over who'd get to sit at his right and his left and who would get to have the most glory, if you will. And Jesus shut that one down. But he's telling them here, and he's going to tell them later in this passage uh, in the sermon series, I got you. I've got you. I'm preparing a place for you. You don't get to go there yet, but you will. Now, for those of you who pay really close attention to Nikki's email that she sends out on Thursday. You might be a little confused about the way this sermon is going because this is the sermon about loving your brothers or greatest commandment or something like that. Yes, it is. So let's connect those dots. Looking at verse 34 in John 13. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This command has so much significance. So much significance. The apostles later, I I mean, Paul, Peter, John, I think Jude, all refer, and James, all refer back to this command. In fact, if we look at 1 John chapter 3, we see something very interesting, a very interesting verse. Uh, John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. And this is his command. To believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. I want you to look at the words, listen or listen to the words very carefully. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. And this is his command, singular. One command. I checked the Greek just to make sure I wasn't imagining things. Single command. To believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded us. 
Think about how important this command is. John here is saying the command to believe in Jesus and to love your spiritual sisters and brothers in Christ are so intertwined that it's one command. We saw Jesus do something similar in his ministry. When he was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor, the other second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, there's not one good answer to that question. They're intertwined. We are called to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean to love our brothers and sisters in Christ? If we move up a few verses in 1 John, um, chapter 3, verse, starting at verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions, and he sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. For this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. We see here a few examples of how to love our sisters and brothers in Christ. If we see them in need, do something. James indicated the same thing. If you see your brother or sister in need and do nothing, that's a sin. Verse 16 Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. This is radical self-sacrifice. So what does it mean to love our brothers and sisters? It is to live a life of radical self-sacrifice for them. Now, going back to John 13, I'd promised to connect the dots between the Daniel 7 reference and this new command. Well, there are a few, and um, I promise several sermons over the next few weeks are going to be covering a lot of the same material. So even though we can't spend a lot of time on this, be patient, it's coming. Um, One of the connections is when we love each other, we are demonstrating Christ's love for the world. We are glorifying the Son of Man here on earth as we serve each other and love them. 
And, and you, we, we can think about this in real life, uh, th things we see every day. Um, if I'm at work and I see a group of a team that they're just constantly bickering with each other, my natural inclination is to blame the leader, blame their manager. It doesn't look good. So, similarly, if the world sees us, Christians, believers, professed followers of Christ, bickering with each other, that is not glorifying God. Another way is loving each other is one of the best ways we can grow the kingdom of God here on earth. Evangelical Christians, for some very good reasons, have been getting a bad reputation these last few years in the United States. We have not been living this command out to love our brothers and sisters. Can you imagine how differently the world would see us? How differently would the world see us if we lived out this command every day demonstrating Christ's love for our brothers and sisters? That would be transformative. That would be world-changing. And it would glorify the Son of Man and the Father. So this week, and in your community groups, I want you to be talking with each other and thinking about and doing love. How can you love your brother and sister? So let me just provide a few ideas of where to look that I know there are people at this church going through today. Um, there are a number of people in our congregation who live alone. And I cannot imagine how challenging this past few months has been for them. What can you do to love and support those people? What can I do? Another group. We've got a lot of parents who are unexpectedly doing a lot of homeschooling. Uh, parents who had depended for years on the ability to have their kids go to school and they are able to work or do other things are now suddenly the frontline teachers. How can you support them? How can you show them love? How can we love those who've lost their jobs or haven't been able to get a job in the last few months? What can you do to love those people?
Let's, let's pray and ask God for help with this. Dear Heavenly Father, you are the God of love and we confess to you today that we have not done what we should in loving others. We have not been loving sacrificially as we should. We repent of that this morning and pray, Lord, that you give us wisdom and send your spirit to guide us to the people where we can truly serve and love and demonstrate these things. Amen.